I'm so excited. You have no idea how thrilled I am about our first speaker. I must confess, I'm a fangirl. And I follow the Daughters of St. Paul on social media. The Daughters of St. Paul are champions of spreading the love with various forms of communication. Our first speaker is Sister Tracy Mathia Duga. Sister Tracy is our Cajun girl from Martinville, Louisiana. As a teen, one of her biggest goals in life was to get a job in the mall so she could get a really good discount at the Gap. <laughs> at the same time, she hungered for something more and kept asking herself, what do I really want? Her favorite thing about being consecrated to God is that she's God's audio-visual called to communicate Him and His love and truth to everyone. She earned a Master's of Arts in Theological Studies from Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans, Louisiana. She's currently stationed in Chicago, Illinois, where she and the Sisters minister through Pauline Books and Media Center, a center of faith and hope where people come to be close to Jesus in the Eucharistic Chapel, as well as through books, music, and wonderful videos. Her creative outlet is hand lettering. She's a woman of many talents. You can follow Tracy's creative work on at sista, with an H, underscore T, underscore letters. To learn more about her story, read her chapter in the book Millennial Nuns, Reflections on Living a Spiritual Life in a World of Social Media. Ladies, let's give a warm Columbus welcome to Sister Tracy. Welcome, Sister Tracy. Thank you. Good morning. How are you today? Great, great. I hope I don't pop in the mic too often. It's so good to be here. I, um, I'm very, very grateful uh, to be in Columbus, Ohio for the first time. This is my first time. So today's theme is to rekindle the gift that God is within you. I thought, what better way to start a day of retreat, a day of encounter, a day of being together than to do it with Mary. Because Mary is the mother of our soul. And she's the one that kind of walks with us in our discipleship. She shows us what it means to follow her son. She shows us what it means to receive the gift, to use the gift, and to share it, and then to call that gift forth out of others. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take some time to go back. To go back to the basics. What is this gift that we're here to rekindle? What is this fire? Where does it come from? How does she show us that? Now contrary to popular belief, I was not born a nun. <laughs> when I was born, the doctor didn't look at my mom and say, Oh! Miss Ethel, you have a baby nun. <laughs> that didn't happen. I've been on a journey, and as you heard in the introduction, I had great aspirations. I want to work at the mall. 
All of us are on a journey. We're all here as a, as a gift of God to us, bringing us together to see how can we grow a little more in our discipleship. And Mary is given to us to teach us how to be on that journey, to walk with us. Even for me, as a, even as a sister, I didn't always relate to Mary in the best way. Because as a kid, the, one of the few practices we did have as a family, because I was raised Catholic in South Louisiana, I'm 100% Cajun, whoop whoop. I thought everybody ate crawfish etouffee and gumbo. If you haven't, you should try it. So, you know, there in Louisiana with my family, the one practice we did do other than going to mass was the rosary. And I mean, I have to say, I didn't like it because it was long. And actually between me and my brother, it was like, who could say the Hail Mary faster? It was like the auctioneer Hail Mary's. Hail Mary for the grace of the Lord is with you. Holy Mary, Mother of God. It was not the most edifying rosary. I just tell you that. And even as a sister, I just felt like, you know, certain saints were helping me along. Um, Definitely Jesus. But my relationship with Mary was kind of like, eh. And I remember at a certain point, um, I would hear, you know, people would go on these pilgrimages and have these deep, beautiful experiences of the Blessed Mother. And I kind of got a little jealous and I was, I've been stationed in many different parts of the United States, and one of my favorite ones, second to Louisiana, was Miami. Now, I had to learn Spanish, and as I was learning Spanish, I have to say I kind of spoke what I call Tarzan Spanish. <laughs> so I would, it was really okay if I was one-on-one with somebody, because I would watch their hand motions, I would see their faces, so I kind of could, like, pick up what they were trying to say. But on the phone to somebody from Cuba, they speak Spanish rather quickly. So one day the phone rings and this lady is talking a mile a minute. And I'm like, oh, trying. And I'm listening for key words, you know, because we're, we're a book and media ministry. So like I was listening for things like libro, which is book, or musica, like a CD, nothing. All I could hear were words that sounded to me like food words. I was a little confused. So we had an employee who I called. I said, Luz, she was from Nicaragua. I said, Luz, do you need to help me? She goes, oh, sister, sure. I said, listen to what this lady's saying on the phone. Tell me what she needs, and then I'll talk to her. So she gets on the phone. Hello? Ay! No! Verdad? And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I missed all of that, whatever it was. <laughs> so she holds the phone. She says, Sister Tracy, this lady has had a vision. She sees the Blessed Mother fry on a tortilla. No wonder I was hearing tortilla. She said, she wants to know what to do with the tortilla. 
And I'm thinking to myself, my formation program said nothing to me about what to do with fried tortillas that have the Blessed Mother on them. And you know what was going on in my heart at that time? Believe it or not, I thought, well, the Blessed Mother never appeared to me on our tortilla. (laughs) You may wonder what we told her. We told her. The Blessed Mother said, eat the tortilla. (laughs) So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look together at Mary's role at the wedding of Cana in, in Galilee. So she shows up at a wedding. And, you know, as women of faith, I encourage you to take time in your life to encounter the word of God for yourself. So we're going to read from God's word because God is present in his word. When I first joined the community, one time I was talking with a sister and I was telling her, I don't know what to read in prayer. And she holds up a Bible. (laughs) And she said, God is present in his word. And the reality of that, the personal presence of God, like shot to my heart like a dart. Sometimes God shoots love darts. I hope he shoots you today with his love darts. And they come to us through the word of God. So in chapter 2 of the Gospel of John, we hear about a wedding. And it starts out, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited. And they ran out of wine. Since the wine provided for the feast had all been used. And the mother of Jesus said to him, they don't write this, but I'm sure she said, honey. (laughs) It's not in my translation, but I'm sure. I'm sure. She's a mama. She said, they have no wine. Jesus said, woman, What do you want from me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. There were six water jars standing there, meant for the ablutions that were customary among the Jews. Each could hold 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill them with water. And they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, Draw some out and take it to the president of the feast. They did this. The president tasted the water, and it had turned into wine. Having no idea where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the president of the feast called the bridegroom and said, Everyone serves good wine first, and the worse wine the guests, when the guests are well-wined. But you have kept the best till now. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So the, 
we hear Mary at Cana, and what we're going to see in her small words, amount of words, but powerful presence, are a few important things that can help us in our journey, especially today. The first is Mary's receptivity makes her perceptive. She's receptive, and then she's able to perceive the situation with truth and wisdom. Second, Mary is a powerful intercessor. She sees a situation. Anybody ever have a situation? (laughs) I get them all the time. She takes the situation, the problem, to the proper place. She intercedes. And then Mary calls her son forth to mission. And she prepares the way for miracles to happen. So today, we want to ask Mary, help us to grow deeper in love with your son. Help us to be disciples like you were a disciple. So the context of John chapter 2 starts out on the third day. Now John, he's quite a scripture man. He had such a heart for using themes and kind of throwing us back so that we would understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that's gone before him. So days in scripture point us back to another place in the Bible where it talks about days. And I'll give you a big fat hint. It's way in the beginning. What book would that be? Genesis. Good job, girls. So we're back to the beginning, back to the origin. Because John is saying with this wedding feast and with Jesus' actions, he's ushering in not the first creation, but a new creation. In the first stories in Genesis, there's an Adam and an Eve. And in this beginning of the book of John, we have a new Adam and a new Eve. Who's the new Adam? Jesus. Who's the new Eve? Mary. Cha-ching. So, but we can ask, like, why do we need a new one? We had one. Well, because of the fall, the first show us what not to do. And the new ones teach us what we should do. So the mother of Jesus is at the wedding of Cana. Mary notices what's going on. She's present to this wedding. As women, I think it's very easy for us to lose our presence in a moment because we're so in our heads about everything else. Or maybe it's just me. Sometimes we are so in the heads of someone else or we're so concerned about what's going on with other people that it can be really hard 
for us to be in the moment. Mary, because she's receptive, she allows that moment to be where she really is. She's not thinking what she left, like she left the dryer on at home or, you know, what's going on with her uncle. She's there. And because of that, she perceives a situation. We live in a culture of a fear of missing out. Social media has us all in, you know, other people's stuff. And sometimes it's a real struggle to be present. So Mary is engaged. She shows us there's a way to be involved in the present moment that we can be actively receptive. But we hear that there is a problem. The wine runs out. And Mary picks up on that. She's perceptive. And she identifies it pretty clearly. Now, when I was growing up, we went to a lot of weddings. In Cajun country, there were tons of weddings. And everybody sort of just did these buffets where, you know, the family would kind of all come in with like a potluck type of thing. And I remember this one wedding shower where me and my mom were walking past the food. My mom is, her name is Ethel. She's four foot nine. At this point, maybe four foot eight. And we're walking past the food, and there's this huge bowl of chicken salad. My mom had a very profound sense of smell. And she looks at me, and she goes, Tracy, don't eat that chicken salad. I was like, why? She goes, it's bad. I think I was seven or eight. And so she marches me over to the family that was, remember, that was coordinating everything. And she said, you need to take that chicken salad out. I don't know who made it, but they must have left it out too long. It smells bad. And they're all smelling it. They're like, Ethel, we don't smell it. Do you know everybody that ate that chicken salad that day got sick? So if, if you're at a wedding and some, uh, somebody's mama says there's a problem, you better listen. <laughs> so the wine fails. Now, if we go back to the first Eve, we also see that they are in this garden, beautiful situation. They have one another. They've been given creation. They've been given so many beautiful things. They've been actually planted in them the image of God. And they've also been given directives, what they can eat, where they can go. But they're given a warning not to eat from the tree of good and evil. In a way, it might appear like there were limits to their freedom. And so it could seem like it was this imposition from outside. And Eve, when she is given a different perspective about what is given to her from the serpent, instead of receiving and accepting the truth of what she knew, she allowed his words to perceive, like teach her, wrongly. She didn't perceive the truth of what he was saying. In a sense... She, listening to what he said, was not open to receive what God wanted to give her 
the fruit of that tree in God's time. But instead, she grasped at it, took it for herself. She said, in a way, I'm not going to wait for you, God. I'm not going to wait on your timing. I'm going to take this matter into my own hands. Eve doesn't receive what God wants to give her in his time. But Mary does. She notices a problem and she acts on it, but she doesn't act in a way that grasps. She acts in a way that impels her to do something about it, but to do something in the right way. Now, we know that Eve was not the only person in the garden. After God creates Eve and Adam, he entrusts them with creation, and he gives them a mission, be fruitful and multiply. But then, specifically to Adam, he has two jobs. Given the garden, and remember, it's not just the earth that's the garden, but Eve is the queen of the garden. And what are the jobs that Adam is given to do? Well, he has to work the garden, till it so that it can bear fruit and they can have food to eat. And also he has to guard the garden. Guarding it obviously means there's something evil or threatening that he has to guard it from. That was in chapter 2 of Genesis. Immediately in chapter 3, we hear about an intruder, proving the point that there is something wrong in the garden. We hear, Now the serpent makes his way into the garden and starts to speak. Now, y'all, I don't speak Hebrew, but I do know one thing. When the snake starts to talk and he says, did God really tell you not to eat of the tree of good and evil? The word for you, you might think, oh, it's one person. But the Hebrew is y'all. Did God really tell y'all not to eat of the tree? Who answers? Do you remember? Kind of go back in the times that you've read. When the serpent starts talking, who of the couple is talking with him? Eve. Okay, so I was raised, born and raised in a southern family. If some kind of thing is threatening the homestead, the man gets up and takes care of it. I actually remember, I think it was two in the morning, we lived in a wood frame house, and somebody starts banging on the back door, like reverberating through the whole house, and I'm like, you know? Sure enough, do you think my dad turned over in bed and said, Ethel, could you get up and see who's at the door? Au contraire, mon frere. He would not. He was up. 
He was at the door. He was asking, who's out there? So where was Adam? Adam was given two jobs. (laughs) Two jobs. And yet here comes the serpent talking to his wife. Adam, if he were a southern man, he would have said, snake, you're going to talk to my wife over my dead body. Because the other word in Hebrew for snake is not one of them little garden snakes, but the word is nahash. Nahash in Hebrew is dragon. So let's not blame Adam too much because chances are whatever they saw in the garden was life-threatening, had evil intent, and could annihilate both of them. So in facing this great threat, somehow Adam did not rise up to protect the bride. But let's fast forward to the new Adam. Jesus also was in a garden. And as we approach Lent, we're going to encounter him in that garden. And he himself had to contend with the dragon who basically had an intention to rip him to shreds on Good Friday. But on Holy Thursday night in that garden, Jesus laid his life down for the bride. And he said, Dragon, you will get to my wife over my dead body. He gave his life for the bride. This is the Lord. This is the man who we worship. This is our God. This is what situates us in our faith. This is the core. This is who it is that loves us. Who it is that gave his life for us. Jesus is the new Adam who won the battle by laying down his life for the bride. So we go back, go back to the, the, the uh, reading, the gospel, and we remember that Mary, in seeing the problem, becomes an intercessor. She takes the problem, not like Eve, who kind of took the situation into her own hands, took the fruit, ate it, gave it to Adam to eat. Mary sees a problem. They have no wine. Where does she go? She goes to her son. She goes to Jesus. Think about Adam. Adam had a problem to deal with. He knew God. They walked with him in the cool of the day. Chances are Adam knew how strong and powerful God the creator was. But he did not call out to him in that moment of truth. He hid. He shut his mouth. He didn't speak. 
Mary speaks the problem, goes to the one who can solve the problem. She goes to her son. She teaches us that when we notice problems that are bigger than us, always bigger, we look at the world today, we say, where the heck are we going to, what's going on? Is it just me? No. It's overwhelming. How are we going to right these wrongs? How are we going to fix the problems? If we think we're going to create the utopia that we all hope for, we will be always frustrated. Because to take the problem into our own hands without any reference to our creator is to create just a shadow of what God wants for us. Our God can move mountains. He can change and transform what is broken. That is what the cross is all about. Mary teaches us where to go with problems. You speak them to her son. So she goes to him. Honey, they have no wine. And his response to her is rather interesting. Woman, what is this to do with me? Many translations are different. And, um, and the word woman, just as a little note for you whenever you're reading scripture, when Jesus uses the word woman, the fathers of the church always said it's because he's ready to change the relationship. Okay? So... He says, woman, what has this to do with me? The actual Greek is, what to you to me? Y'all, I have friends in Staten Island. I can just picture them. Woman, what to you to me? (laughs) But basically what he's saying is, woman, if I act right now at this wedding, everything's going to change. Everything's going to change for me and everything is going to change for you. And Mary, like a good mama, she doesn't pay any attention to what he says. (laughs) Y'all ever saw my big fat Greek wedding? It's like, I'm the neck, you the head. Anyway, um, You know, as women, we can be really control freaks and try to control everything, right? Mary's like, she takes things. She doesn't pay attention to what he says. She turns and starts telling everybody else what to do. Except, what does she say? Do whatever he tells you. Ah, she gave it the right answer. Mary directs us to her son to do what he says. And Jesus, my third point, she brings forth in him his calling. It's like she says, honey, I know you don't agree because he says to her, woman, my hour has not yet come. And she's like, talk to the hand. (laughs) She basically says, yes, hon, it is time. And so she draws out, draws forth his mission. And he acts and everything does change. He sets in motion 
his redemptive suffering, healing, dying for us and rising again. So you and me, we have situations in life that overwhelm us. They're bigger than we are. What are we supposed to do? We need to be receptive to them. No, call them for what they are. Use God's perspective to discern them so that our receptivity makes us perceptive to the truth. Then when we see, I am no match for this problem, we bring it to the Lord. We speak it in prayer. And finally, to live as a disciple, we have to nourish that awareness. We have to constantly be brought back home to who and whose we are and to live out of that place. Because when we do, when others see us, they then are called to live out their vocation, their mission. And sometimes we can actually call it forth. Like, come on, honey, step to the plate. How we doing? Awesome. So as a daughter of St. Paul, we have many, many, many opportunities to speak God's word, to share God's word, to image God, to give him to others in various forms through our person and also through our communications. And we find that more and more people are in need of seeing Religious women and men, people who have dedicated themselves to following the Lord because we are called to live now the marriage that all of us are called to. We're the ones that are called in the world to point to the fact that God is good, even if he seems like he's silent or quiet. That many times the difficulties and sufferings in our life are to draw us closer to him. As a Cajun girl, my dad had many words to use to call me his beloved. And one of them in French, Cajun French, is poupée. But my dad has a way of shortening everything. So like for his friends at work, they were Patna. Well, they all became Pod. Well, for me... I became Poop. So he would call me, hey, Poop. You know, that was my name. So I joined the community, and I am not um, ashamed to say that I was in the convent when emails started to really come out, right? So we would get emails to one community email account, and one of the sisters would print them all out, and she'd hand them out at supper time. So this one day, this, these emails come in, and Sister Madonna, she's got them, and she's like, um, Sister Francis, Sister Teresa, Sister Mary. Who's poop? And sure enough, written on the very top, dear poop. To this day, when my daddy texts me, dear poop. The funny thing about it is my brother's like, do you realize that dad's calling you? I'm like, yes. 
But he's not. My father is calling me beloved. He just can't spell. (laughs) I know my father's heart. I believe that our journey with God is to insist on what we know is true. The father is good. He loves us. And he wills to save us. To give us every means possible to bring us into communion with him forever. And each of us are on a journey to make that happen. I got to share my story in the book that she mentioned. It's Millennial Nuns. I actually tell the poop story. (laughs) To show that each of us have had things happen that were kind of... mm, crappy but God can use them with faith to bring about his purposes and that's what I pray each of you become stronger and wiser and perceptive to the presence of God even in the midst of the crosses of your life so that you will be a sign that rekindles faith in those around you amen God bless you.